shooting. Skimmer Way near Lakewood, Charles 478, Tango. Thank you for joining us on Inside EMS. Now the always entertaining Chris Zebalero and the Ted Nugent of EMS, Kelly Grayson. Well, welcome once again, everyone, to Inside EMS. I am your host, Chris Zebalero, and with me always is the dubious, is dubious a word? The, the, <laughs> the handsome. No, that's, I can't do that either. Kelly Grayson. Kelly, come on in here. How are you doing? Do uh, you find it dubious that I'm handsome? Yeah, Is I don't know, man. I don't know where to. <laughs> I, I guess it's dubious. It wouldn't be dubient. What kind of word was I looking? For? It doesn't make a difference. You're not any of those things. Oh man, I'm 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 as handsome as as handsome gets. You just you just don't rec- recognize handsomeness. You know, I got to tell you though, man. To be honest with you, man, we've spent some time together, and you know, we've been partners almost two and a half years now. Three years. It'll be in in the in the. Uh, fall i mean in the spring yeah. if, we, if we get there we'll be doing the show three years and i think we've missed like two or three weeks that we've never delivered a show so we've, we've got quite a few of them up there but uh, i gotta yeah. tell you i'm the better i'm the better for this relationship I, and i just want to tell you that and uh, now that i'm ticking this off my list that's your christmas present okay so i love you bro fesser <laughs> i appreciate that rotated chip i guess you're on the ems world tour again yeah man we're we're uh we're back on the uh the Medic Solutions World Tour, straight out of Pitkin. Uh, we're overnighting in Topeka, Kansas, and we're heading up to the South Dakota EMS Association Conference in uh, Brookings, South Dakota, uh, on the 28th and 29th. And then we're going to take a few days' road trip and see the sites in South Dakota and Colorado and Wyoming. And, and uh, Nancy's going to be speaking at the, uh, the MSAC Conference in Keystone, Colorado, while I fly home. So uh, going to make it a road trip of it. That's nice, man. It'll be really awesome to see, and uh, you know, beautiful country up there. And I've never been, and uh, I need to get up there and uh, do some visiting. So when you come out of uh, Colorado, of course, we're going to have to test you. We're going to have to give you your analysis. So make sure that you stay away from anything that says uh, "giggle time" or whatever it is they're talking about. We're just we're just going to drive past some dispensaries with the windows down and and breathe deeply as we go past. That's right. Uh, Get a better contact high than a Hank Williams Jr. concert. Really? Hank Williams Jr., huh? All right, well, let's move oh. along on that one. <laughs> so, you know, Kelly, you know, I was I was thinking the other day, you know, I was talking to one of my uh, uh, one of my peers, EMS leader, and we were talking about, you know, how are we how are we mitigating the back injuries that, you know, our workforce are getting? You know, one of the things that, you know, we think about is these back injuries, you know, not only could they be career career debilitating for our uh, workforce, but they could be expensive as well. I mean, we talk about one back injury could, you know, be $100,000 with surgery. And, you know, we, we have, we see a various of patients, you know, from the, from the pediatric all the way to the morbidly obese. And are we spending enough time um, you know, dealing with uh, proper ergonomics. Are we spending enough time to make sure that our providers are safe? And but I really like to kind of focus our discussion now on you know back injuries and that how we spend all this money on different pieces of equipment to help our workforce save their back that they don't use. So first off, I'd like to get your impression. I mean, you've been in a you've been an EMS you know quarter of a century. And I'm sure you've been no, uh, um, as as all of us, you've been no stranger to strains and pulls. And so I'd be interested to know from your standpoint, um, you know, your thought about this topic and uh, 
Secondly, what have you done in your career to kind of minimize that you'd get these injuries? Well, I, I, I try to practice good ergonomics, and, and here I am knocking on wood that I've never had a, a serious back injury. Uh, <clears throat> as far as I uh, can remember, I've never had a lost time accident, period, for, for any kind of back problem. Uh, you know, when you, you work a system status management ambulance, you, you tend to sit in a, a cramped uh, ambulance seat for 12 hours at a time, and that's not really conducive to the things that are necessary to, to prevent those injuries like stretching and, and exercise. Uh, but we do, uh, I am lucky in that we, we do have pretty good equipment. Um, but like you said, uh, you know, as uh, you, as a leader, uh, wonder why sometimes we don't, uh, make use of that equipment. And, and me as a street medic is, is quite frankly, sometimes it's a pain in the butt. Uh, however, uh, we try to use it whenever I, I my judgment dictates that, that, the uh, equipment is going to be easier on my back than just a simple body carry and lift. I, I think it's unrealistic to assume that we would use, say, a stair chair on every single instance where we would need a stair chair. For example, we simple dictates like like our service uh, says, if you have more than three steps uh, to, to get the patient down, you should use a stair chair. Um, can't really consider all the possibilities. For example, you know, we'll, we'll frequently get patients where we have to park our ambulance at the road uh, and can't get the, uh, the ambulance to the uh, or close to the house. Uh, may have to push the stretcher 100 yards or more to get to the patient's house. And then when we do arrive at the house, find that we can't get our stretcher up the steps and inside <clears throat> they have a deck or a porch or whatever can't get our stretcher inside and there's three or more steps down to the ground level where the stretcher's parked uh and we find once we've encountered the patient that they need to get out of the house quickly uh often more quickly than we can sprint back to the ambulance grab a stair chair bring it back set it up get the patient in it and carefully get the patient down the uh down the steps uh in those instances, I've, I've foregone the use of a stair chair and, and haven't had a bad episode uh, or a bad outcome from it, uh, and we'll probably do that in the future. Uh, it's always best to use the equipment, but it's not always realistic to expect that it'll be used every every single time. You know, we've had patients in extremis that uh, really needed to get on the stretcher, oxygen applied, get back to the ambulance and, and haul butt to the hospital, and getting a stre- uh, stair chair out, getting it to the patient, getting the patient on it, get them stowed back away, uh, and getting on the road would add precious minutes to our scene time that, that I didn't feel we had. So we've done the, the body carry. Now, if it's a heavy patient, I'm not going to be able to render patient care if I'm incapacitated. So sometimes we just got to do what we got to do, uh, and, and take the extra time. But there've been plenty of instances where I pick up, you know, uh, 95 pound grandma and, and in my arms and just a body carry and had someone brace my, brace me from behind, grab my belt, uh, have my partner in front of me guiding, uh, telling, you know, next step down, watch your feet and, and that sort of thing. And we, we get the patient down the uh, the stairs that way. Um, I remember. I remember possible. when. I remember when you did that to me. It was. Yeah. <laughs> did you ever get get over that wedgie? Well, I mean, uh, the, the problem too is you hit my head on the banister, but uh, I forgive you for true. that. Yeah. Sorry but to cut you. you can't always. You off, yeah. But. Yeah, you can't always get the patients out via the stair chair, but we should. <clears throat> One telling thing to me, uh, you know, uh, from an administrative standpoint, was something that was said to me during my initial uh, um, orientation at the Canadian Ambulance. Uh, they crunch the numbers 
when they bought uh, hydraulic stretchers for their ambulance fleet, they crunched the numbers and and they found that that by use of slide uh, by implementing slide boards and stair chairs and mechanical uh, uh, hydraulic stretchers, they spent less money buying those things than they spent on uh, lost time accidents uh, for back injuries. Um, so the investment uh, actually paid for itself in the reduction of, of back injuries uh, for for our crews. So uh, a lot of a lot of EMS systems are, are pretty much uh, penny wise and pound foolish in that regard, and don't give their crews the the best equipment available. Well, the question then becomes is how do you get the uh, the crews to actually use it? I can't use it on every single call, but I try to use it on, on as many calls as I can, uh, but it's not going to replace uh, practicing good ergonomics and good lifting techniques. You know, I think you said a lot of things there that have to be touched on. You know, first thing that I, I think I want to bring up to you is, you know, and I've done this too, Kelly, so I, I think that within our career field, there, there's a culture that, you know, maybe it's, you know, we don't need the stair chair because we're strong enough to, to muscle this patient or we don't need to to bring that. But, you know, one of the things that, you know, that I've always done is I've tried to just lift people. I've gotten behind them, good ergonomics and, you know, lifted them. Um, one, the first question I'll, I'll ask and I'll kind of just leave this out and see if you touch on it is, is that really what's best for the patient? Number two is when we don't use this equipment, are we becoming role models for the rest of our peers to say, well, Kelly Grayson, Chris Sabalero, they're not using it. Why should we use it? That's a, that's a good point. And, and I, I try to be a, I'll, I'll, I'll try to be a good role model. Um, but once again, you know, I can't watch, uh, <clears throat> I can't be responsible for the practice of, of every EMT that, that listens to our podcast. Um, uh, I would urge people, uh, to uh, use their their patient transfer equipment in an appropriate manner, and as often as is possible, the more you use that equipment and the less you use your back, the longer your back's going to last. And God knows, uh, as long as I've been in this career field and as long as you've been in it, we've seen our share of, of medics who, who went out with a career-ending back injury. Uh, and, and, and in these days, uh, you can't send those people to dispatch anymore. <laughs> they, they can't, uh, function anymore and they have to get out of EMS entirely. When we use our slide boards, for example, we, we have patient slide boards and transfer options. Uh, and, uh, my employer just, just, uh, um, outfitted all of our ambulance with uh, patient shifters for bariatric patients. Uh, they're attached to the stretcher rail and the patient uh, over 300 pounds and you need to move them. And, and uh, we have basically, it's a, it's a miniature man sack, if you've ever seen those, canvas uh, shifter with, with heavy-duty Sonian handles. We'll use those things. Um, but calculating the amount of weight we move each shift if a patient shifter reduces the the effort by 50%, that's literally thousands of pounds less that we move every shift. Uh, and that adds up. It's, it's cumulative, and it will save your back. So by all means, use it uh, as often as possible uh, and, and ditch this macho image that you don't need these things uh, and that people that use the slide boards and people that use the stair chair are, are, are weak and wimps. Uh, and, and a real manly medic just toughs it out. Uh, I would rather be seen as a wimp uh, and have a long career than be a manly medic that goes out after five years with a back injury. Well, let me cut you off right there, Kelly, because isn't mm -hmm. this isn't this really the epicenter of the problems within our career field? Because 
what you just said is exactly what we say about stress and mental health issues is that, you know, we think that we need to tough it out and we think that, we, you know, we shouldn't be talking about it. You know, isn't it the paradigm that this really kind of works in all together to say, we've got to stop the bravado that's in our career field. We've got to stop the egotism to say, you know, it may be best to use this equipment. We know that it's best that you talk about those challenges, but isn't this, maybe this is more systemic than it really is about a piece of equipment. Well, yeah, uh, most definitely. We, we kind of need to ditch that attitude and you see some of the, the, troglodytes and ems that that still oppose uh women working on ambulances and they're out there uh and and you even we don't have it where i work but you know i've seen ems managers that say you know i refuse to put an all-female crew together because they just can't lift question is why are you requiring them to lift that much we have a minimum lift test standard that our employees have to meet before they're allowed before they're hired uh they have to go to a to a uh physical therapy uh outfit that that does these things for us and and these people are are trained in in ergonomics and safe lifting techniques and and gauging these things and if a if a uh, job a new hire can't lift uh, a minimum of 150 pounds from the floor to to uh, stretcher heights, uh, they don't get hired. Um, so theoretically, anyone that's on our ambulances should be able to lift uh, just as well as anyone else, at least at a minimum standard. So when you, when people say, well, you know, I'm not going to put two two females together, they're just not capable of lifting, and and that's just a bad situation all the way around. Um, question then becomes why are you uh why are you requiring them to to lift that much in the first place uh if they're following uh, all our, our our lifting guidelines and using the equipment as it's been designed and they've met the minimum uh strength standards then uh there should be nothing wrong whatsoever with a with a crew of of two petite little females uh as long as they can lift to the proper height and lift the amount of weight um uh, I think there's a lot of sexism that goes on in, 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 in attitudes like that that we need to ditch. Yeah, I think that's really an important point. Let, let me hit you with this question, Kelly, because this is, you know, this is one that as a leader, uh, I was going to look to implement within my organization recently or not recently, but a, a couple years back because the organization we wound up getting, um, you know, of course, yeah, we had course stair we chairs. Had of course, we had electric cots. But, you know, I mean, we had all the equipment, you know, we had. We had belts and we had the vests mm-hmm. and we had the, you know, the air hockey mat that, you know, you blow up and that'll go down the stairs and, you know, it'll help you move the patient. So, so here's my question. And, and, and we were doing really good for a while. We had, you know, we were averaging about, I think it was $47,000 a year in back injuries. And then we put all these things into place. And of course, when you have a new toy, everybody wants to play with it. And then one of the things that we noticed later on, uh, about a couple years after we put all that stuff in place, is we started to see the increase in back injuries again. So the discussion came up to say, well, wait a minute, if we're supplying all this equipment, and if you choose not to use this equipment, should we be responsible for your back injury? And I think that that's really an interesting concept to say, you know, you needed to be able to list. Remember back in the in the day, you needed to list the equipment that you used on every single call. So if you didn't use mm-hmm. a piece of equipment, you know, whether it was a, a lifting belt, whether it was a stair chair, whatever that was, a slide board, and you get hurt, should we be liable for that injury? That's an excellent question. And, and honestly, uh, I think no. 
I think no. If if your injury resulted from a deviation in in uh, standard operating procedures, uh, and there was equipment available to help you with that uh, and to to mitigate that risk, and you didn't make uh, make use of that equipment, I don't see why the the agency should be responsible for the back injury. Now, you know, I, I'm sure some of my my colleagues in the field would would take offense at that and take umbrage at my assertion, but. Um, Honestly, you know, I mean, we're expected to use the rest of our equipment appropriately. If we didn't, if we didn't put a cardiac monitor on a patient that needed it and had about bad outcome, uh, <clears throat> we'd be liable for that. So why aren't we liable for the injuries to ourselves that came from stupid decisions uh, when the appropriate equipment to mitigate the risk of that injury was right there before us? Yeah, um, be I think that's fair. Yeah, it'd be interesting to know the people out there that have the legal, uh, maybe when the show comes out uh, on Facebook, we'll tag a couple of our uh, legal eagles and see if they can, uh, you know, give us a little bit of background on that. But I well, think you know, that one, don't you think, though, that if there was the accountability to say, look, we provide this equipment, and if you get hurt, you're going to be, we're not going to be responsible for this. Don't you think that it would increase the use of equipment? Yeah, I, I I, I don't know. I, I, I really don't well, know. There that, was a, that, there was a waffle right there, man. That no, was a, I don't, you gave well, me yeah in the beginning the, and now you're giving me a no. Well, well, yeah. Do you want to uh, start over? Do you want to start over? No, no, I'm not going to start over. I, I, that runs afoul of my general principle that you can't mandate good behavior and you can't threaten people into good behavior. That's just not effective leadership techniques. And, and, um, you can't make people make good decisions. What you can do is foster a culture where good decisions are encouraged uh, and the kind of people that you hire make good decisions. How but is you that, can't. How is that but, mandate? How is that being, uh, uh, what'd you say, forcing them? How am I forcing them into it? Here's the thing you use it, uh, you keep yourself from getting hurt. If you don't use it, you get hurt, you're on your own. Is that really? Well, that's, that's the thing. I, I, I don't know that people are going to respond to that sort of, uh, I don't know that that in, let me, let me, brief, uh, how would I say that? Uh, I think in theory, that sort of idea works in practice. I'm not sure if it is actually effective. Um, I, I don't, it's just like, uh, you know, capital punishment. Is it, a, is it a deterrent? Well, don't kill people because we'll kill you right back. I don't think it's a, a an effective deterrent. Uh, it may still be necessary, but but off that subject altogether, um, saying hey, you're on your own if you don't use our equipment. I don't know that that's actually going to result in better use of the equipment. Um, uh, that type of negative reinforcement or that type of threat that that they're going to be on their own if they don't use this protective equipment that may work on some people but i don't think it's going to work on all uh, and i don't think it'll have as widespread an effect on, on uh usage and, and compliance with your protocols as you might think well, hang on uh, a second. not near as well as not near as much as as fostering a safety culture from the very beginning and and you know trying to trying to hire the people that that uh, take an active interest in their own health and, and welfare, uh, and, and fostering that culture from top to bottom, uh, without, you know, more carrot than stick is what I'm, what I'm trying to say and saying it badly. Well, let me uh, cut you off here. Okay. You're, you're kind of, I think you're contradicting yourself. So initially when you say, and I love when you do that because this is where the arguments come from, but <laughs> so you say that you think it's a good idea that when we say, if you don't use the equipment, you're going to have to, you know, you're, you're responsible for your own injury. 
But on the other hand, you're saying that you don't think that that type of deterrent works and people are just not going to use the equipment for the sake of not using the equipment, but then they're going to be responsible for their back injury. Isn't it the same thing? No, no. Oh, uh, let me I, hear this story. Hang on I, a second. Let me, put I, my, let me put my feet up for this one. Go. Yeah. What I said was that I think it's fair that if you have policies, procedures, equipment uh, in place to help mitigate the risk of those injuries and the crew member does not use them and an injury results, I think it is fair that the agency not be held liable for the, for the injury. Uh, I think that's only fair. However, is, it, is that policy going to actually um, force people to behave in a safe manner. I don't think that necessarily follows. Yeah, but I you're don't saying think, forcing. I mean, are we really well, forcing? Well, them? well, that's what you're. That's what you're saying. Is is you're 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 using a policy um, that protects the the ambulance service or the EMS agency from additional liability because their their crews don't follow their protocols uh, and their procedures, um, and that's one thing. But using it as the stick to enforce better. Mm compliance with those policies i don't think necessarily follows play, play um, with me play with me here play with me Stop. you you gotta nancy's nancy's here next to me tugging at my elbow saying buy-in buy-in you've got to create buy-in and she's right and and that's what when i was when i was rambling and, and trying to to find the words for how to how to foster a culture of safety uh it is all about buy-in you've got to sell as a leader you've got to sell these people on what these extra steps you have to take are going to do for them rather than saying you know you must do this or else yeah that's cute so, you know, here's the thing that I think here's the thing. Nancy, he thinks that's cute. So here's the thing that I think is important. Anytime, and I'm going to make this comment before I, I come back to you with this, but anytime you make a change in policy or procedure for the people who are doing the work, if you don't have them at the table to help make that change, you are doing them a disservice. So exactly. if I'm going to change a policy that says that if you don't use this equipment, this is going to result in this, then... Uh, if they're not involved in that, you shouldn't be putting that policy in place in the first place. But that's not what we're talking about here. That's just my style of leadership. I think for the people that are out there, we don't change practice. We don't change policy for the people who are doing the work without their input into that. You know, because I say this all the yeah. time, Kelly, is that I don't consider myself to be a paramedic anymore. I consider myself to be an administrator. And I shouldn't be making mm -hmm. policy for paramedics and EMTs without them having some type of input. But let me give you, you this. You can't thing. make those decisions in a vacuum. Exactly. You're absolutely correct. So here, let me give you this scenario, okay? Here's Kelly Grayson. Now, you're in charge of the uh, Nancy McGee EMS agency because she's the boss now, and you're just the operations manager, director, whatever you want to call yourself, the, the, grand, right. the grand poobah, okay? <laughs> okay? So you now put this, you say to your workforce, or you put a policy in place that says, um, okay, We've got all this great equipment. We've got the, uh, you know, we've got the mats. We've got the slide boards. We've got the stair chairs. We got the good stair chairs, the ones with the treads on them, you know. Um, but now, how do you say? How do you make this work for them by saying? Um, but if you don't use it and you get a back injury, we're not going to pay for that back injury. Now, how? Because again, I think you're contradicting yourself in the sense of saying you can't put a policy in place and then force people to do it. Well, you know, so how do you do that? You're in charge now. Tell me how you how you make that work logistically with your workforce. 
I think society has proven that people don't always act in their own self-interests. <laughs> uh, we, we do stupid things. We do hurtful and injurious things and unhealthy things to ourselves all the time. We practice bad habits. Uh, and, and I don't think that the stick is the way to get them out of those bad habits and to start practicing good habits. I'll use an example. Acadian uses uses the the carrot method on a great deal of these things. They use these uh, this technique called "I've got you got caught" cards. Uh, and if you're um, practicing good safety behaviors and you're using your stair chair and your your mover or whatever and and a uh, um, <clears throat> and practicing good lifting techniques and three points of contact with the stretcher at all times and the ambulance at all times and all of our our safety procedures and and mantras that we constantly repeat when crews do those things and supervisor catches them doing it uh, they get a a $25 Walmart gift card or a gift card to the Acadian store where they can purchase things other than uniform stuff. Uh, so we actually try positive reinforcement in that regard. And, and, and as a dog trainer, <laughs> I'm, uh, I know that positive reinforcement is probably the best method to, to get compliance uh, out of any creature from a canine all the way up to a critical care paramedic, positive reinforcement works best. And, and mm-hmm. by saying that, uh, uh, using the stick, you know, we're not going to cover your injury if you don't use these things. That's negative reinforcement. Mm. Threats don't always work as well mm-hmm. as as cajoling and 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 encouragement. Uh, so if you don't come in, one of those things, you, the beatings will continue until morale improves. That that doesn't always work. In so fact, you, rarely works. If you don't come to work on time and you're you have three tardies in a in a excellent. Well, you know, no. so it, it's the same. It's the same concept. So the concept is there are rules, <laughs> and the rules are if you if you get X amount of points on your license, you can't drive the ambulance anymore. If you mm-hmm. are absent, if you are tardy, if you have bad behavior, if you you know if you're uh, you have poor patient care, um, these are grounds for termination. If you don't use the equipment that we've now given well, you, those we're not, things it's, are it's the all... same concept. No, those things, those things are all negative reinforcement. And I didn't say negative reinforcement has, has no place. I said that better results are achieved through positive reinforcement. Some things that you have, you know, there have to be consequences for following policy. You're still assuming that a policy that protects the EMS agency from liability, uh, from, from crews, not following procedures, uh, and not using their equipment, uh, is going to force those crews to do that. Uh, that does not necessarily follow. People do stupid things all the time, even though they know better. Uh, the question is not making them know better. It's hiring people that know better that will actually follow those things out of their own self, uh, follow those, those procedures and use that equipment out of their own self-interest. Um, but let me, let me shift tack with you a little bit. What do you think about new mandates, uh, state mandates and governmental mandates that certain safety equipment uh, be required on ambulances statewide. For example, in Connecticut, um, you can't, all new ambulances sold in Connecticut have to be outfitted with a power load system. Um, and, and talking, you know, NFPA standards, uh, for, for ambulances, I now have to have the, 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 uh, lighting modules and reflective paint schemes and all these things that add significant cost to the, the, uh, cost of a new ambulance. Do those things actually make us safer or are they unfunded mandates that actually make us less safe? 
I want to first go back to the thing about okay. how All negative right. consequences you've got to pay for okay. negative consequences. Okay. I think that's why I have to be partnered with you on this show. First off, that's what I want to say. <laughs> but I do think that if the if our EMS agency says that we are um, having challenges with um, you know back injuries as a, as a society, that you've got to be able to be able to have that piece of equipment. I think that's something that we've got to think about. Certainly, I would think again, hopefully that that wasn't made in a vacuum and that the other EMS agencies said that they were going to be part of that. Um, knowing that a lot of volunteer agencies, I don't know how you get that $35,000 piece of equipment on a lot of those ambulances. Mm-hmm. And I think that, but I think that the challenge is that if they were able to take care of that themselves within the individual agencies, does the state have to get involved? Anytime that we don't do the things that we need to do in the state or the government needs to get involved, we've failed. Mm-hmm. But with that said, man, I don't know that we're going to come to a consensus. I think that what we have to do is think about how back injuries affect uh, not only the organization, but certainly the life of the patient. We certainly know a lot of people, Kelly, throughout our careers that were great EMS providers, that delivered great care, that were very motivating, mm-hmm. and uh, they never had to, they never worked another day in EMS after that back injury. And I think yeah. we have to be able to come to a point where we say we've got to try to keep people as safe as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, but with that, it's probably time to go. I, I, I still disagree with you on, on proper ratio of carrot to stick. Uh, it seems to me on this uh, on this issue that you're more stick than carrot, and and I'm just the opposite. Uh, I've always thought that that um, uh, training and education uh, is simply making it easier to do the right thing, and then reinforcing that behavior. Uh, and 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 you, uh, on the other hand, seem to, to take a different tack, at least in this subject. So, but hey, that's what I think. We already know what Chris thinks. Uh, he's not shy about sharing that with us. But we'd like to hear what you think. So, email us at the show at ems1.com. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes. And for myself and co-host Chris Cibolero, thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS. We'll catch you guys next week. <laughs>